0: What prompted you to go back to Sri Lanka?
1: So my mom's entire family is back home in Sri Lanka so growing up um, we we had very little contact with them and um, the first time I ever went was in like 2001 so I think I was like four or five years old. Um, No real recollection of what that trip was like and then it was a huge gap in between and the second time I went back was in 2016 Um, so that was a time that I'm more conscious of the fact that I was there and I got to meet my family Um, and so the three-year gap between 2016 and now um, I felt that now that I'm wrapping up school um, it would be a good time just before I start working to really go spend some time with them and to kind of touch base with my roots and kind of kick it before things get real serious (laughs) with the job hunting so yeah I mean that's what that's what initially prompted me yeah
0: Okay, that's pretty dope. I understand you. uh, Wanted to connect with your roots, you know, go back home, you finished a major milestone in your life. That's pretty sweet. Before we go somewhere, we always have like an idealized picture about it, right? So what was your image of Sri Lanka like before you went back home?
1: I think a huge part of it is just... The lifestyle difference between the GTA specifically in there, um, between my travels, you know, to Mexico, Nepal, um, Sri Lanka, it—it's like a f- natural way of living there. I think the food and just even the way that people carry themselves, like, yeah, there's that nine to five hustle and the chaos, but there's always time for family. There's always, um, it's less on the entertainment side, more of just like fellowship between your relatives and your friends. And in terms of the lifestyle, I mean, the food in itself, you're not always eating junk food. You're not, I mean, even when you do take out, it's not (laughs) <laughs> this plastic stuff that we're eating here, right? Like it feels fresh and it feels natural. Like um, the aunt who I was staying with has like a papaya tree outside, right? So it's like a, it's a good, ex- it sounds funny, but it's a great example of just like everything that's in your home is from the country and it's not, you know, it's not all imported stuff. And a lot of it is so fresh and it has a huge bearing on just your mood as well as your health overall. Like I think there, um, I had like clearer skin, like I was feeling good, you know, like it was just like, everything was so much more natural than it was here. And so they don't have all these added preservatives. Um, But that was my perspective is that it was like fresh living and being here with just my mom and my brother, um, as much as yes, they are family. We're more stuck to our working lives here and, you know, just doing the nine to five thing and just coming home and it's just the three of us. So it, it seemed kind of mundane. So I was looking forward to that like fresh um, time to just like spend time with all of my family, um, and to kind of just kick back. And it, it's like a vacation mixed with, you know, spending time with your family. So it that's kind of what prompted me, and that was kind of my perspective on it.
0: All right. Now that we got what you thought before you went, having gone and come back, how has your perception of Sri Lanka changed? What suspicions were confirmed? And then, you know, like, what side of it got rejected? Like, okay, you know, I see the light now.
1: So the first time well I keep saying the first time but first time I went back and I was more conscious of it so I said earlier 2016 is when I went back once I kind of grew up I spent a little less time there than I did this time so I was there for two months this trip and you know you obviously spend more time with people and you learn a lot about the family that you have as well as the country in itself and a lot of it kind of didn't feel like a vacation because you know everyone's at some point, everybody's got to go back to work, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, so there, there's that aspect where like, not everyone's going to get to hang out with you. So, um, that was kind of like, five-year-old me being like, ah, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like everyone's got responsibilities but I think in terms of, um, I'm a big foodie so I keep going back to the food aspect of it but it's, I think it's a big, um, it depicts my perspective of it. So earlier I said, you know, the fresh living, the natural way of living. Um, it, kind of was rejected in the sense that I noticed that there was a lot more imported items and even, you know, fruits and vegetables that you'd get off the side of the road or um, in the market, a lot of them had added preservatives. The tastes were changing. So now I think the influences and in the way the market is running there is starting to imitate what it is here and in America or possibly Europe. Um, and so that was a little disappointing to, to, you know, be like so excited to eat a mango. And then I was like... It's kinda of tastes funny. Tastes
0: like it came from Mexico. Yeah, and I was like,
1: there's there's definitely something laced in here. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, but I mean I did travel a bit around the country in itself, and like when I was up north, it was a lot less of that. In the city, as you could imagine, it was you got a good mix. Um, but I mean, overall I did enjoy myself and it was it was a lot of what I was expecting because I've already been there. Um, but there was a few different things that definitely changed my perspective on both the people as well as going there as like a tourist. There's different, I think, different conclusions that I think I ended up with mm-hmm. that I wasn't expecting.
0: Okay. Do you want to expunge a bit on those, or are you gonna save it a little bit for later?
1: Uh yeah. Like I think, um, I think maybe once we continue the questions, it might it might unfold itself okay. a bit. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So. I got a pretty big question for you because I experienced this when the last time I went back home to visit family, which is Jamaica. Um, for those who don't know me, I wasn't really born there, but my parents are from there. But I still, you know, call it like back home because that's the term. So when I was there, being from Canada, everyone thinks that you've got it set, that you got it <laughs> made, that yeah. you know, like you got deep pockets, yeah. that you're just like swimming in money. You got, uh, like, an abundance of everything. Mm -hmm. So they naturally just beg you for stuff. You know, they ask me for everything. I remember uh, one isolated incident that has never left me is I was at my uncle's funeral, and somebody asked me at the funeral to buy him cigarettes. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. You know what I mean? Like, these people just think, like, I just got money to just, like, shell out, you know, asking me for, like... Shoes, you definitely. know this and yeah. that. You know, like you, you can't just like relax because they mm-hmm. always, you know, think like, hey, you know, cause let me, let me, little something, something. <laughs> you know? Help me out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, being born in Canada, how are you treated differently by the locals?
1: Oh yeah, there's a there's a big. Um, I mean, you can definitely see it like firsthand. My cousin, well, my family wasn't very. How do I say this? they weren't very hands-on, like they weren't super needy in that sense. But I mean, there are sort of expectations that you kind of feel going to begin with. I mean, it's the Tamil culture is very hospitable. We're very generous and we're very community based. So I mean, anybody that you speak to when they go back home, it's like a big shopping spree. Right. But like, I mean, aside from that, because that's, I mean, that's something that's given and that's something that we want to do. Right. But there's always an underlying expectation, and I'm not saying necessarily from my family side, but from the people that you tend to visit or the people that you come across, they all see you as a foreigner. So even though, you know, I mean, I wasn't born in Sri Lanka, but I am a Tamil Canadian, but I say mm-hmm. Tamil first because, I mean, both of my parents were born and raised in Sri Lanka. We speak Tamil. We are Tamil. That's our mm-hmm. That's our culture. There's always this kind of distinction, though, because no matter where you go, they're like, oh, like they don't know life here, right? Mm -hmm. And so they think that the life we're living here is just like rainbows and sunshine because they're like, oh, you're in a developed country, so you're probably making like thousands of dollars. And I'm like, I'm struggling just like you are, (laughs) right? But there's, they don't really understand that. And then when we're there and we're talking about certain like burdens or struggles either financially or socially and they're like, yeah, no, you wouldn't understand. So then they kind of skip over and they might even speak in um singalese cuz my family knows both tamil and singalese and they know i don't speak singalese oh. um so that happens both in the home and locally uh-huh. i mean when we're traveling they i mean they just assume right that we don't really know the struggles that they deal with as well as um, they don't even include you in that interaction because it's they automatically assume that you, you wouldn't it's understand. It's not something that
0: youth have to e- think about or deal with.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, it's really interesting because I, I came across this one scholarly article by Kalyani Thuraja and she was talking about, like, a shared identity, right, between, like, the Tamil diaspora, specifically in Toronto, and youth in, in Sri Lanka. And she kind of um, discussed, or interviewed, rather, the people that she was she was talking to and asked the people in Toronto and the people in Sri Lanka, you know, how do you feel you connect to the political and social issues that are in your country? And diaspora can can, like Tamil Canadians were basically saying that they do and they're moved by it and they, they feel affected by it and they feel like they do share identity with their homeland. Mm -hmm. Whereas the pe the youth particularly in Sri Lanka said that it's not the same and that they don't feel the diaspora Canadians should, um, feel like they should have a say in those things because there's a disconnect and it was quite interesting because I thought that's exactly how I felt there is that like if I did have something to say or like something would come up in terms of um, something as simple as like social life or something a little bit more complicated as um, in terms of like political discourses or narratives that go on Mm. there like I felt like I wasn't included or I, I it was automatically assumed that like this kid has nothing to do with any of this.
0: Like you wouldn't have any clue what's going what's on. What's going
1: on whatsoever. And I thought, maybe that's the case. Maybe, I mean, but what we're seeing here is very different from what they might be seeing in terms of the media that's available to them there as well, right? So I think we do have different perspectives on it. And at the end of the day, we shouldn't be speaking for other people because we're not there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we do have ties and connections to our homeland and it still causes grief and joy mm-hmm. and whatever else and a mix of emotions depending on what's going on so it was quite interesting hearing my cousins make fun of me like i was a uh, spoon fed my whole life but uh-huh. i was like ah, oh, guys you guys have no idea yeah but um i mean even the locals like when we were in in, in northern uh sri lanka they kind of just look at you funny because they can tell right off the bat you're not from there i don't or know they can
0: smell how, you it's i don't know how small. they I, can I,
1: after two months of being there, I thought my skin color, like, I even wore the clothes they wore. Like, we went to, like, I, we're going to get to kind of, like, the um, the touristy spots that I that I hit up. But, like, at Sigria we, um, <laughs> it was a big group. I think there was, like, 15 to 20 people. And we were all just walking in. And they singled my brother and I out, like, so fast. Uh, they were just, like where's your ID card? And we're like, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, it's they can definitely smell you. Um, I don't know how. Um, I really tried to blend in. It didn't work out. It doesn't work. It but, does not work. Yeah, no, they, they can, they really do see you as different. I mean, even if you are, you speak the same language, you're the same color. There is a huge differentiation between um, who we are and who they are in their minds. They feel that, um, I don't know if, if it's I don't know if it's resentment I don't know if it's just just difference in an uh in the way they think they've been raised up and we've been raised up but there's a huge disconnect I would say a hundred percent
0: you know I find it pretty interesting that you um would touch on that because it's something similar that happens like you know in the black community right Um, like when you see like people in the black people in america Mm -hmm. when you know when they're trying to find their roots like figure out what's going on like what their culture's like and they would try to you know like trace back their roots to africa but then like you speak of that disconnect it's like some either on like one side of the fence like either people who are trying to who are searching or the people who currently live there yeah like somebody kind of rejects a certain aspect of you yeah you know what i mean oh yeah
1: 100 percent. i feel that too
0: and i do feel i felt the same way in jamaica right like um uh, as a as a canadian born but somebody whose parents are of jamaican descent like i feel tied yeah to you know yeah uh, jamaica like i call it like my homeland even though i wasn't born there exactly
1: i've said it like five times i think just in this recording like a homeland and like I refer to it as the homeland or motherland, but it's, I, yeah, there's there's disconnect. <laughs> yeah,
0: you kind of get you know like shut out, even though you do in a lot of ways share the same culture as them, right? Because mm-hmm. your parents try to pass that down to you because oh, yeah, it's like sure. this is part of our identity. Yeah. But then the people living there are kind of like ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know you can't really like claim it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, what would you say the name of that article was again?
1: So it is actually so it was written by Kalyani Thurai Raja, and it is called "The Case of the Sri Lankan Tamil Diaspora and Homeland: A Shared Ethnic Identity." Um, so I've accessed it through the Willy Online uh, Library, mm-hmm. um, but um, I think anyone that has access can definitely see that or at least the abstract. But it is a it, it is a interesting um take on it because i mean i experienced it firsthand and to come across it i was like oh wow like so it's confirmed like because yeah. it's explicitly been said that they don't agree that um we have a right to claim membership of shared ethnic identity and that mm-hmm. they they feel that it's not the same as it would be if we were ju- like it wouldn't be justified um for us to be speaking on issues um related to the homeland because we weren't born or raised there hmm it It is a, a quite interesting narrative.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing that I do find pretty interesting about Sri Lanka is being born in Canada, you meet so many Tamil people. Oh, yeah. And then so many Tamil people of like a Hindu background mm-hmm. that you forget that Sri Lanka's majority Buddhist mm-hmm. and that the yeah. majority is um, actually Singhalese, not yeah. Tamil. And I believe in Sri Lanka, you guys have ethnic groups like. Uh, Tamil, Sinhalese, you know, the Moors, Mm -hmm. and then um, another group, I can't remember the name.
1: There are the Indians, uh, so the North Indians that kind of come in. There's the Tamils, there's Sinhalese, there's Moors. Um, So Indian Moors is how they would refer to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, there is, is, um, I mean, majority of the Tamils in the northern region are Hindus, followed by like Christians, there's Muslims, and a small minority of Buddhists in the Mm -hmm. northeast region. My mom is from the city, um, so she's from Colombo, so from the capital, um, whereas my dad was born and raised in Jaffna, so in the northern part oh, where it's majority Tamils.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, to get on to a bit more of a lighthearted topic, one of the things that I didn't realize about Sri Lanka was that it's such a beautiful country.
1: It is very breathtaking when you realize the diverse uh, landscapes that they have. So in the um, central part of Sri Lanka, you're getting a lot of like tea states, a lot of um, up countries, so mountainous areas. It's a lot cooler there. And then obviously around the island, it's more coastal. So lots of beaches, um, valleys, um, the northern part, there's lots of um, islands, smaller islands there that mm-hmm. are, um, are part of the northern region in Jaffna, um, or they call it uh, Yal- yalpanam in Tamil. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a huge, I mean, diverse um, set of landscapes and and wildlife there. Um, I was really privileged this time around because we visited Gaul, which is the um, it's the southern west coast, and um, we went whale watching um, mm-hmm. near the Indian Ocean, and it was it was amazing because I, I for some reason I didn't kind of combine whales, dolphins to Sri Lanka for some reason. Like I, the last trip I had, I got to see elephants at the um, the Pinola um, Elephant Orphanage. Um, we didn't get to go on a safari as planned. But um, I, for some reason, whales, I just always thought were just in North America. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, going on this trip was very, very interesting because um, the team that we actually went with, um, they're people that have academic backgrounds in bio, marine biology specifically mm-hmm. and so um once we were kind of heading out it takes it's, it's like a two-hour boat ride all the way out to the middle of the ocean in order to see them of course
0: two-hour boat ride
1: yeah and um and so you know sitting there we actually came across the sea turtle like this massive sea turtle that was just covered in in plastic wrap like um i don't know if it was netting or whatever uh-huh. it was but like they actually had divers that were on the team. So they went in and they, they pulled the turtle. Yeah, Yeah. it was, it was an awesome experience. They pulled them out and they untangled them, set them back free. Um, And then there was all of these little crustaceans and little fish that were tangled in. So they, they set all of them free and it was really awesome to be a part, um, to kind of go on that trip with someone that really, cares about the wildlife and, um, kind of take all of that in to make sure that they, I mean, even this little crab, like they made sure that nobody moved while they were untangling the plastic because if they kind of scattered, they didn't want anyone stepping on it. Uh So right down to the smallest little creature, it was, um, it was so humbling to see how careful you need to be to preserve these things. Mm -hmm. But it was also heartbreaking because all these major corporations are like huge, a huge part of the plastic mm-hmm. that we find in oceans, right? And so, um, as much as I think in North America we blame Asia yeah, for no, dumping so happen. much plastic, it's actually a lot of it comes from North America, from the Western world. Um, and so it was it was quite an interesting um, experience seeing that. But yeah, in terms of wildlife, um, we were hoping to go on a safari. Um, the only issue was because of all the deforestation, the all the animals have moved closer into the jungle. Wait, and wait,
0: hold on, hold on. like deforestation?
1: Yeah, so um, the thing is, especially in the southern region where there's more tea estates and where you're going to find more elephants and leopards, um, there's, they're cut, They're building up more resorts, they're getting more of these um, exclusive resorts and oh, hotels kind of going up.
0: Wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because hold on. from my understanding, I was... Um, aware that tourism was on the come up in Sri Lanka, but I didn't know that it was coming at a price like this. Like,
1: Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's always at the price of people that don't have, a, I mean, that don't have a say for themselves, and in this case, it's wildlife, right? I think in, in all parts of the con- in the world, really, there's this kind of balance between wanting to develop the country as... Um, as luxurious as you can while also balancing and making sure you're taking care of your native species Mm -hmm. right and that's not the case here um there have been several changes in terms of the chinese influence in sri lanka as well so there's lots of new buildings lots of corporations i'm not sure if you heard of like the lotus tower coming up in um in colombo but it's it's this gigantic tower filled with all these um, exclusive hotels and r- restaurants and um, shopping centers, but they spent like X amount of billion dollars on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it's built in an area where there's people that are like just hoarded up in one apartment, like, yeah. you know, eight, nine people in one apartment. Yet we have the money to do this, right? So it's like, it's a good, I mean, it's. As, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt because there's obviously more factors in play than what I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like when you kind of look at it from your per, like just viewing it as a person just coming into the country, you're like, OK, so we have this divide of people that live in this area that looks a certain way and may not be a terrible place to live. But I mean, especially in Cotagena in Colombo. And then you're seeing this tower, and I'm like, is that necessary? <laughs> you know what I, I feel mean? You, I feel and you. so they're they're balancing the the rich and the poor, and I don't want to say poor because I'm not assuming that they're all struggling financially, but not up there making thousands and millions of dollars. There, there is that disconnect. So that's yeah, yeah,
0: that's, that's quite generally nice. the case. Like people, either who are, you know, struggling and poor or people who do have the money, they get gentrified, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, big companies like, okay, I got a vision for this. It's this a nice plot of land. They build something. Price of rent goes up. Everyone gets pushed out. You know, it was pretty interesting that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm about going on the excursion for the whale watching, mm-hmm. and how you were with the team of the marine biologists. because I'll admit to you, I even bought into this myself, that the narrative was that here in North America, that we do such a good job, you know, taking care of our plastics and our garbage. And you know, it's China, India that are polluting the world. and it's like, why do we have to do more you know work and effort on our side? They mm-hmm. should. To know that there are people on that side of the world who do care about the planet and are doing their part to really take care of it and, uh, you know, maintain it, right? And Mm -hmm. it's not as one-sided as it is being portrayed.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like Coca-Cola is one of the, I think, I don't know if I want to say largest, I'm not sure, but one of the largest contributors to the plastics in the oceans. And it's like, Mm -hmm. where's Coca-Cola based, right? And I mean... And then you're looking at all these other corporations with oil just being dumped. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting take because what we see is not always what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to be like, the problem is out east, right? It's in Asia. And I'm not saying it isn't because there's definitely issues there.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, you don't really understand how balanced it is until you kind of see... Other, you
0: physically go, um, go and and you see for yourself
1: exactly and so being on this whale watching trip was it was an amazing experience but it was also very um upsetting when you kind of think about like wow this is kind of what it is and we can't really do much other than stop what's gonna go there mm-hmm. afterwards right so proactively making decisions to stop that as opposed to being like let's just clean the ocean because then what about all the garbage that's that's Mm-hmm. going to continuously go yeah. in right so we need to make some sort of change with how we're delivering those products i mean where it goes and what it's where it ends up mm-hmm. um as opposed to just saying we're going to clean the ocean because i think at some point we need to be realistic and say what's done is done but we can stop what comes next
0: right right you got to regulate it you know yeah. uh also uh i didn't intend for us to take this route but i think it's crazy that you mentioned how china was building that like, new tower or whatever. Yeah. I think it's crazy the, the reach that that country is starting to have mm-hmm. because I, the other day I was um, watching on YouTube, uh, 60 Minutes in Australia. I don't know how that came up on my feed, but um, and they were talking about in the other um, regions of Oceania how China is, you know, like, um, buying their ties with other countries mm-hmm. in those areas and, yeah. you know, like, trying to build... Um, like you know, their their island, their manufactured islands there, or um, you know, just like trying to get their hands on the resources in the in those countries.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a two sided agreement between the Sri Lankan government and the Chinese government um, to boost, I guess, trade or economic operation. Um, I was very surprised because, I mean, just going. I mean, based on what I saw the last trip to this trip, I saw lots of tourists from China, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's great. But also I was like, wow, like they're, there's a lot. <laughs> and so I felt um, that there was big shifts, you know, economically and um, financially as well. I mean, politically in terms of the tourist group, mm-hmm. um, especially after the, um, the, in, the, easter sunday incidents so it it, um there has been a shift i mean maybe over the last three because again i haven't been there for three years yeah but um yeah you can noticeably see that that the new relationships being formed politically are are quite interesting (laughs) Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. all right uh the next thing i did want to talk to you about and you did uh just slightly mention it and as I was saying before, that tourism was on the rise mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka until the um, the Easter Sunday incident occurred. And then, you know, other countries were advising their tourists or, you know, people, right? you know, Sri Lanka is like a no-go zone. I don't know personally how much about that incident that you know of, but mm-hmm. if you could um, try and explain a little bit to some of the listeners.
1: Of the specific incident or its impact on the tourists?
0: Um no mostly of the specific incident and you know like within your your family group or the locals like if you've if there is still a um like a sense of fear you know like within the country
1: Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um so as most people will know there were several bombings that went off um, Easter Sunday in the morning, um, hitting major uh, hotels in Colombo, so the capital, as well as um, a few churches, so the biggest one being in Nagumbo, close to the airport. Um, since then, um, security has tightened on a lot of those hotels and big um, um, malls, shopping centers, things like that. I noticed firsthand every major mall that I walked into had like security and scanners, right mm. at the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also very sensitive to big um, cameras being um, you know, held up. Even if you have your phone kind of, if you look kind of sketchy in the middle of the side of the road, then someone will definitely stop you or like kind of watch you a certain way. Um, we actually visited one of the, so St. Anthony's church in um, We I visited with my father and my brother and they had scanners and they had security at the front door so you get patted down before you can actually walk
0: in. Into the church. Into
1: the church. And so, um, I mean, they have taken precautions since then. And um, I think there was a few incidences following that, where there was, um, there was like a white van parked outside, um, just an empty van. Um, once they kind of investigated that, they noticed that there was actually explosives in there. So there have been like few incidences following Easter Sunday that uh, uh, led to some more suspicion. Um, from the news that I've seen and heard, they said that yeah, there was a it was an Islamic militant group that uh, that planned the attack and took responsibility for it. Um, I always say that you should always question the media that you're that you're being agreed shown, and that you kind of need to look at both sides and figure out. Okay, so we have a group that's in a faraway land that's claiming responsibility but we also know that Muslims in Sri Lanka are a minority themselves. Um, and yes, there's new shifts in immigration and things like that, and there was some faults in the government um, because there was some confidentiality and some safety breached. Um, that was on their part for sure. But um, in terms of minorities and majorities in the country and the ongoing battles, there hasn't there have been a few discourses between Christians and Muslims in Sri Lanka, but it has primarily been... Um, more from other religious groups, and so um, you know, without throwing one group under the bus, I want to say that unfortunately there aren't ways that we can find out unless we we really become intel and we yeah. <laughs> go in and we figure out what happened. There's really no way of confirming or falsifying the information that we're hearing, um, but that's kind of the the perception is that it was it was um, an Islamic militant group that that attacked. Those hotels and churches. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what I've seen after that, there has—I mean—but among the locals in the city, um, there, there—I don't—I didn't notice too much hostility. But again, the certain shopping centers and big public spaces, there is a lot more security features. And I noticed, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I noticed that the airport now they have this. Um, so while driving into the airport, there's scanners that are installed on the floor so you need to drive slowly because it scans your car from underneath to see if there's explosives um and so i mean those are great measures i think just in general without even even if there wasn't this incident that happened um but um aside from that people have been shaken up a bit but i think everyone's a little bit more aware of what could happen which is never a bad thing um Mm -hmm, to be mm -hmm. a bit more alert but um It was nice to see that it wasn't as locked up. I mean, even when I was traveling, Canada still had their traveling warning um, up to take caution when traveling to Sri Lanka. So, I mean, I think most Western countries had a level two travel warning um, following the incident. But yeah, I mean, aside from that, there wasn't too much hostility, but you can definitely see the precautions taken after the Mm -hmm, incident to make sure something else doesn't happen.
0: So there was, like, no curfew or anything going on in the city? Like, it was just no. operation normal?
1: Yeah, so it, it operates as normal now. There was curfews following the incident, I believe, for a couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they didn't have access to social media. Um, and so there was um, some shutdown in terms of that regard. But and um, now it seems to just be operating fine. Um, I didn't notice any differences.
0: Okay. The next question that I did want to ask you is: Having gone through a civil war and it being over now, were you able to feel any tension between the two ethnic groups? Uh, being obviously being the Tamil and the Singalese.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so in the city, you don't notice it much or at all. Um, it's very calm. It's very peaceful. I would say most group, both sides are extremely. Pleasant. Sorry, in
0: by in the city, you're talking about um, Colombo? Colombo, yeah. Okay. So
1: it's, it, it's I mean, everyone's pleasant there and um, there isn't, you don't get treated differently because you're Tamil. I mean, most people there speak both language. I mean, Singles um, people don't speak Tamil as much as Tamils would speak singalese there because most of it is in singalese in the city. Um, and so like my mom's side, they all speak Singles. Um So we never had issues in that sense. Um, but when I traveled to the north for the first time um, ever with my father, because he's from there, um, I noticed that the remnants of war and their history of oppression, it's still very much, it's very much evident in the way that they live their lives. They tell stories of even something as simple as, you know, reminiscing on like their parents or their family members, it's, it's a part of their everyday life. There's been so much extensive damage, I mean, physically to their, their landmass, their homes, as well as mentally and emotionally. Um, You really get a feel for how extreme the war was there. And so you kind of, um, you do feel it. I mean, even in normal, I mean, just normal conversations every day, like talking to, um, I don't have, immediate family there i have distant family members and family friends there and so i mean just speaking to them it's it was interesting because i mean almost every single conversation ended up mentioning something about oh you know during the war time or during this time or this place is this or i mean you know we went to the beach we hit up lots of different um i mean historical and cultural landmarks but everything has some sort of back. exactly has some sort of tie to the civil war or has some sort of significance, either good or bad, for the preservation of the Tamil culture and tradition the traditions, right? And it was, it was really eye-opening because I mean sitting in the city, I feel that certain Tamil people in the city as well kind of brush off the severity of what happened because they might have not experienced it to that extent. Um I mean, these are this is where specific, you know, fights have happened. There's been, you know, so many bombings, there's been gun violence, there's military occupation like you can't imagine in like numerous amounts of people have gone missing, including activists and journalists. Gone
0: missing. Yeah. I, like- mean,
1: I mean, right now, actually, um, even just according to Amnesty, they have they're the second largest, um I mean second uh, country, I think, in ranking that has the most, like, the amount of missing people there is, is this crazy? Second. Yeah, so I mean, second in the world for enforced disappearances, um, and the number given by Amnesty um, was sixty thousand to a hundred thousand people, and their families still don't know where their family members are. I mean, to this day, they've protested. Um, actually, just a couple of days ago, um, it was a. It was a thousand consecutive days asking the government. You know, a
0: thousand consecutive days.
1: Consecutive days. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a mix. hold between, on,
0: hold on. You said yeah. a thousand consecutive, consecutive days. Days
1: of protest from family members of missing journalists, activists, so many, including women, students, um, that have gone missing, literally off the streets, um, because they've spoken up against the uh, the crimes. Basically, of the government and the military.
0: Okay, so for those who don't know, could you just give like um, you know a little explanation on exactly what the Tamil civil war, or should I call it Tamil civil or Sri Lankan? Just sorry, civil Sri Lanka, war. Sri Lankan yeah. civil war. What it was about?
1: Um, so it's primarily Tamils fight for um, an independent region for their own, and we call it um uh, meaning like the home of the Tamils. Um, so the war started. Um, early in the 1980s, so 1983-ish, ended in 2009 with the death of the leader and founder of the LTT, so the Liberation um, Tigers of uh, Tamil Elam, and um, that was the government's, um, I guess, victory over the civil war. Again, I don't want to particularly speak on the political aspects of it because I think um, there's a lot to unfold there. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's a whole other conversation on on its own. But what I can say is during the time of the war, especially during the final phase of the war, the amount of war crimes and um, throttled justice that took place under the reign of the prime minister and president at the time is just hasn't been answered for. Um, I mean, even with the new elections taking place, um, they've refused to, to cooperate with the, um, the alleged abuses, right? So mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, that in itself to me is an indication that there was definitely so many things wrong and so many different operations that weren't justified that took place um, because civilians had to suffer for it. Over 100,000 civilians died within the span of the 25 years of the Civil War.
0: Right. Uh-huh. Um,
1: so there's a lot to unpack there politically, but in terms of just shaping it down to justice and human rights, this is what it is, and you can't really hide that or you can't mask that and say that there's both sides to it. What was done was done, that all of these families that have been protesting for now 1,000 consecutive days, they haven't gotten answers yet. And I, I mean, I mean, who do we blame other than you know the defense minister and the, and the and the president and prime minister at the time?
0: And I believe the guy who was the defense prime minister at the time was the brother of the current prime minister. No, sorry, he was the brother of the prime minister, and now the current prime minister, it, um, he was the defense minister at the time, right?
1: Yeah. So now it's switched. So the the brothers that were in power at the time. So he his uh governance ended in 2015. So Mahinda Rajapaksa ended in 2015, where the UN and various um, humanitarian organizations asked for some sort of, I mean, honor from him to kind of address these human rights violations that were, that were so outstanding. Um, that wasn't done. And then following the Easter attacks this year, um, his brother... Um, Announced his, his uh, candidacy for the elections, for right. the presidency elections. Because he so was
0: a defense minister.
1: At the time of this, exactly. So, um, so now he actually, I think this Thursday, actually just swore in his brother, who was the previous president, as the new interim prime minister. So um,
0: a lot of nepotism going on, right?
1: Exactly. Lots of conflict of interest. And so um, it's very difficult to say what will occur in the next four years. I mean, you're seeing the two people that were um, in power at the time, at the during the final phase of the civil war, and no reconciliation or, um, uh, yeah, no reconciliation has been made thus far. I mean... It's kind of just like swept under the rug, right? And, yeah, I mean, it's, we're looking at news from CBC, I'm, I've read from BBC as well, Amnesty International, that there's been no form of... Reconciling or even addressing the issues. Um, I watched a press release I think before he was even elected of a Tamil journalist in the crowd asking him what happened to those all the disappearances i mean all the all the tamil journalists and activists that went missing off of the streets i mean we the 60,000 to 100,000 people that just vanished i mean what happened cuz those were enforced disappearances it was unlawful detention and imprisonment so what about those people and he said i don't know i don't understand why you assume i would know that when he was the defense minister at the time
0: <laughs> what so, that was the answer he gave and
1: that's exactly the answer he would he gave and so I mean, she retaliated by asking the same follow-up question, being like, you were the defense minister at the time. Um, and so this is the situation that we're currently in, is that the whereabouts and information of the disappeared people is, is not being addressed. It's, it definitely indicates criminal responsibility and activity. And I mean, with this still outstanding and still the, the, the remnants of war still residing in people's minds and hearts there in the north and east coast especially... There's, there's no saying what really will take place in the next four years, and it's disheartening, but, I mean, the only thing we can really do is have hope and and just just pray that, you know, people that have a heart for activis- activism and, and recognize that this is what's taking place will still speak, mm-hmm. um, even though they are kicked down and covered up, because um, during my time in the North, there's still military occupation. A lot of the... Um, so like for an example there was a it's called kks so it's a beach coast where there's a lighthouse there's a military um i guess it's a training um training sort of um, operation operation there and so the entire beach coast which is public obviously land has been taken up they've built resorts they've built hotels and so it's it's a really interesting dynamic that's at play there because you don't see that as much in this. I mean, you don't see it as, at all in the city. And when you do see a military, you know, um, truck or whatever, you, there's there's none of that hostility and fear. But when I was in the north, I mean, every little thing you did, you felt like you were under watch and scrutiny. Like we went to the beach to swim and there's just military occupation everywhere. There. I mean, by default, that would be Cause some sort of um anxiety within people's mm-hmm, hearts yeah. knowing that there's so many people you know your neighbors your family members your friends that have disappeared been killed and it's not to say that
0: well so you it, get a feel like i could be next kind of, of thing. yeah
1: and, and and it's crazy because i mean the first time i was there um it was in 2016 again so 2015 is when Mahinda rajapaksa's governance ended because there was a new president that came in and um so a year following, I still felt a bit of, um, like there was a lot of checkpoints. So when we would travel anywhere, like I got asked for my ID a couple of times and we'd get stopped very frequently. Mm -hmm. But then this time around, I didn't feel that way. But when I went to the North, it was the exact same way that I felt that we got stopped every time. And it's, you know, everyone's watching you or asking you where you're going. Um, there was a, um, a temple that we kind of drive off to. It's, it's a bit of, um, an excursion because it's, it's connected to the land because they've built bridges, but it's a small island, and it's a Hindu temple called uh, Pungthivu. Excuse me, I'm not um, probably pronouncing that right, mm-hmm. but I mean it. It is a sacred place for the, uh, Hindu Tamil Hindus, right? And so, even then, there's checkpoints, you know, um, which is I think in a good. It could be a good thing, but considering the damage that's already been done, it when you're in that space it's very oppressive
0: yeah and it uh seems
1: that something that belongs to the tamil people is regulated by the state and it and it shouldn't be that way i don't i don't um it didn't feel good Mm -hmm. (laughs) i can only speak on my experience because again as much as i identify with my my cultural roots it's i think it's a whole nother ball game to be living there and i can see from people in the way that they they conduct their lives most people aren't out late and um again going back to just simple conversation every conversation touches on the war in some way or shape or form so these are like lasting impressions that will take years to reconcile and rectify right and i think now that politics has been stirred up once again it's like we're going right back to it Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: and and so it's i mean it's important to stay hopeful, but it is very, um, it's a very unsure, unstable time right now.
0: So that being said, is there, like, do you see any progress happening on the island? Like, has there been any, you know, attempts to like make things better? Maybe not from the government, but like with the, with the locals, like, um, can you speak on that? Is there anything?
1: In terms of making better the, the tension or hostility between the people groups? Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah, like, um, you know, like, are there steps towards making things right? Or is it just like a lost cause at this point?
1: See, this is the thing is that it's not, I think, differences between people groups is not something that ceases and then just pops out of nowhere, right? Like, I think I don't want to, I mean, referring, to, just so people understand what I'm referring to, like the Trump effect, right? Um, discrimination against black Americans didn't just stop happening and then all of a sudden start happening once Trump was elected. Agreed. But these are mentalities that are kind of underlying that get pulled out of the rug when a new leader is elected. I mean, following a tragic, extremely tragic and violent incident such as the Easter Sunday bombings, people are, it's natural for people to, excuse me, um, sort of want a strong leader, you know, to give them assurance, to give them stability, to say, hey, I'll make sure that we go back to the past of, the, you know, the traditional values and to leave behind the corrupt um, and, you know, kind of aiming at that middle class that wants to go back to, you know, the past that was apparently so good, right? And so populism and a populist leader who's strong and authoritarian, authoritative would seem like the good option to go with but at the same time it brings about all these issues that people don't really consciously think of and it's the fact that there are so many other people that aren't maybe not a part of your people group that are affected by this you might want a strong leader you might want someone to stop um, military I mean nobody wants to live in a country where bombings Mm -hmm. just occur and go off but at the end of the day is Sometimes it's better to stay stagnant and have a president that might say, okay, we're going to make sure all of this happens, but we're also going to make sure that people that are here at the moment don't kill each other, right? And I Agreed, think agree. sometimes we want the other extreme. We're like, okay, so this, didn't, this approach didn't work. So the previous president that just stepped down, um, maybe there was no improvements in the country and... I mean, I I do think a lot of people blame him for the Easter bombings, that there was some sort of negligence from the government, um, and that was the reason for it. But to use that as an excuse to go to the complete different extreme is you need to consider both sides and to say, okay, so you want to say that the president before him, you know, may have built roads and highways, and it was a great initiative. I mean, that definitely helps people. But also, X amount of people died Uh, (laughs) in the final phase of the war. So... Uh I mean, how do we balance those two things, right? And so I don't think people just stopped viewing another minority as good or bad and then all of a sudden thought, oh, now that previous uh, leaders are now back in power, let's just go back to like acting like we're superior. No, I think, it's, I think it's, it goes both ways in the city. Unfortunately, people don't see it as badly as those in the north do because they haven't been hit as hard. I've noticed that with my own family is that when I spoke about it, they were like, what is wrong with, and it goes back to obviously their viewpoint of me as a foreigner, but it's also their own experiences because media is controlled there. It is regulated there. And so we might be seeing more than they are even seeing living within that country, right? Right. So there's a lot kind of going on there. And it's, I mean, it's not to say that my viewpoint is the only viewpoint, but forgetting the political aspect of it. I'm not saying I'm for or against certain people. I'm looking at the humanitarian aspect and saying, how are people disappearing? How are people being killed? How are homes being wrecked? How are people being displaced, forced to move out after hundreds and thousands of years of living in a certain region? And it's not being discussed, right? And it's not, no one is being, I mean, no one's accounting for those losses, and so um, that's the issue. Is that um, I think, especially within the city, from what I've noticed, even from my own family members, they're like, "Yeah, no, it's not like that." But then you go up north, and everyone's like traumatized, you know. Mm-hmm, and it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a huge disconnect, and I was and I was shocked because even just speaking to people from the city, speaking to people from the north, they almost have animosity towards each other, Tamils in the north and Tamils in the city. And I'm thinking wait, I thought we were all on the same side. Like, I thought we were all just wanting to live and survive. Singlese people, Muslim people, Buddhist people, like, all included. I mean, like, we're not drawing lines here. I thought we were all on the same team. But it's unfortunately because of all the different experiences in the varying, in the varying states within the country in itself, they all have different viewpoints. And, I mean, that's what it is to be a human being. So it's being. not
0: really a knighted front. no.
1: It's not, and it's quite interesting because I was like, oh, okay. So last time when I was in the city, I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's not that bad. Because I, at the time, I wasn't as involved in reading you know, different articles and seeing the different memoirs of what's actively going on there. I was like, oh, it's not as bad as people portrayed it to be. And this time around traveling and even, I mean, in 2019, it being so safe compared to what it probably was back when the civil war was taking place, I could sense the tension, the hostility and the fear. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) Mm -hmm. how do people in the city not know this? Because so many people haven't even visited that area ever. And I'm thinking, wait a second. So you say it's not so bad, but you've never been there.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, But
1: it's, I mean, it was really mind boggling because I thought every time I went outside, I was... You, you, you were left with this uncertainty. And I'm thinking, and I'm just a tourist here. How much more for people that have lived here have, that have seen in front of their eyes, bloodshed and tears and losses and casualties upon casualties. And it's, um, it's you you can't even blame them. Like it's, it's, it goes without even saying that it, that impression will last so many years and so many years of reconciliation is needed to fix that trauma. But unfortunately, people in the city and people in other areas, they don't see that because that's not being portrayed to them. And so it seems as if it's like the boy who cried wolf, um, in one area, whereas in the other area, they're just thinking, yeah, these guys are just asking for too much at this point and just rebelling. Um, but these are people trying to live and survive just like anybody else's. So that's, That's how it is in between people, from what I've experienced,
0: yeah. Uh, I'm not too sure if you'll have the answer for this, but how is media controlled within Sri Lanka?
1: They call themselves a democratic socialist country, Um, so it's quite a mix. Um, In terms of firewalls put into place, so information that comes in, information that leaves the country, um, it's regulated much like in India or in China, not as strong as China a little bit closer to India. So they have internet access, they have social media, they have all those things. Um, But from what I understood from the Easter Sunday bombings is that they, during the time of the curfew and stuff, every social media was completely shut down. And I had certain cousins ask me, hey, have you seen any videos or pictures? Like, what are you seeing on your end? Because we're not getting anything over here. Mm -hmm. And we're being told that it's okay and that everything's under control. And I'm like, wait a second, but I thought there was like seven or eight bombings. What are you talking about? And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? So it was quite interesting. And then it was later on that, you know, people video recording things off of their phone, you know, and saving it was the only way that actual videos were getting around because all the articles and information we were seeing was very different from what they were seeing so i'm thinking okay so which one's false are they both false oh yeah i <laughs> um, got you and so there's two sides to everything is that this fear is definitely ingrained even in the people in the city but it's it's almost as if it's a defense mechanism to say if i give it so much recognition and power i'm basically acknowledging the fact that it's there so i feel like people in the city have experienced it and know the power of the state or the military or whatever it is that's in control but it's almost as if if you acknowledge it so upfront, you're asked you're basically acknowledging the fact that you're also a victim Mm -hmm. it's very easy for us to say that that happens over there that happens in the north that happens in a different country in a different continent much like we do here Mm -hmm. human trafficking is a huge thing in canada and america but when i think Initially, when I think human trafficking, I think Thailand. Yeah, I think (laughs) you know what I mean. Like it's a crazy stereotype, and so that's what happens everywhere in the minds of people. Is psychologically, it's very easy to push the problem away from you.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Agreed. But
1: it's quite sad because everyone is a victim there. But reconciliation and a resolution can't be met if there isn't some sort of unity, Mm -hmm. right? And it's easier said than done. That sounds extremely cliche, but that's that's the problem i think is that everyone has a different experience and viewpoint and so it's like oh wait but you know you guys don't like this prime minister or president or military so you guys are stuck up or you guys are just fighting about certain things because people in the north are like that and so these are these are the type of conversations that we're hearing and then same thing goes for the north okay everybody else in the city is pompous so it's either you're for us or you're against us and i'm like
0: mm, yeah
1: that's not that's not how it is that's not how it should be. Forget political discourses. The fact of the matter is if you're having people dying and going missing and you can't speak. If a journalist or activist is fearful for their life when they're speaking on valid issues in, in, in their social community, that's not a democratic country country, is it? It's definitely not. It's regulated and it's poisonous to free freedom of speech mm-hmm. and thinking. And then you think about all these deliberate attacks on Tamil culture and tradition. So like the Jaffna Public Library, I don't know if you know, but it was was basically a sanctuary of like Tamil culture and so many different scrolls, ancient texts was initially burned in 1981. And then during the Civil War, I mean, it was rebuilt after that and then it was again, broken down because of the bombings and everything else on both sides between the LTT and Sri Lankan military. And then it was renovated again in 2003, 2004. But see those lost texts and scrolls and ancient artifacts, we're never going to get those back. Mm. It was 97,000 pieces of history gone. And so that's ethnocide. Like that—that that, that yeah, is yeah. direct... An attack on the culture and the people, and so those are things you can't deny, and those are vividly in the mind of people. And so, um, actually, when I visited, I was very humbling, and it was it was almost emotional for me because I wouldn't have known those things if, since the last time I traveled, I started following these different news articles and blogs, Tamil Guardian, um, some Instagram accounts, Seeds of Revolution, Nineteen Seventy Two, so all these different accounts that kind of talk about the memoirs and the things that are continuously happening there. And so when I went in, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like I'm standing on historic ground like this. It's not the building in itself, but what it represents, right? And so they actually asked for no photography. And I mean, that was, it was interesting because I was like, okay, like, but then when you really think about it, I'm like, so many precautions needed to be taken in order to preserve what they have left. It was such a big loss for the culture. I mean, no matter what, the building can be rebuilt, but what's lost is lost. And it will continue to be lost in, in the hearts and minds of Tamils because knowledge and culture is such a huge part of the Tamil community. And um, it's it's really interesting to see the way that they kind of grow and they resist the oppression. It's It's very... It's hopeful, but it's also nerve-wracking and kind of disheartening coming from here because we're not used to that head-on resilience. You know, it's it's almost intimidating, but it's it's what's come out of all these situations, is the resilience in the Tamil community to continue thriving and protecting their culture. And all the different sites that I visited in the north were good indications of that, that, that regardless of this, is that there's still this push and this desire to preserve the culture and the traditions and it's like in one way I'm like okay at what cost you know like is this necessary but I'm like of course it is because that's our heritage and
0: so uh, if I could interject for a little bit yeah what aspects of your like culture history are unique to the Tamil people in Sri Lanka
1: so there has been some of course political and historical discourse in terms of who was there first and who did what and who took where. Um, but it's quite interesting seeing um, the, um, well, specifically the different landmarks. So there was a few things that I got to visit. There is the, the Nalur temple. So it's a huge um, Hindu temple that's in Jaffna. Um, the house that we, that we have is actually just a, a block or so away from it. And it was initially, it was founded in 1948 AD.
0: Oh, A.D. A.D.,
1: and it was yeah. developed in the 13th century. So it was it was a capital for the Jaffna king, so it was called Kota kingdom. So back in the medieval ages, temples and these ruins that you see were a huge part of the life that was inhabited there. And so, I mean, religion was often mixed with culture and tradition, right. much uh-huh. like in, in Europe. And so those were very interesting to see because, I mean, well, what's left of it, these Ancient scrolls and these texts and manuscripts and um, buildings that are still lasting or continue to be built in remembrance of our past is quite quite interesting because there was different tribes and kingdoms at the time. I'm not too familiar going back to specifics, but it's I mean looking at the temple and looking at you know the Jaffna Library that was you know that was built in 1933. You're seeing I mean even during our trip to Segria, it's it's a little more south than Jaffna. It's, it's one of the actual heritage sites that um, we were discussing earlier. Is that even there, the Lion Rock? It's a ruins of it's a ruins of, um, of a kingdom, and so there's lots of history there as well between the Buddhist monastery and a uh, Tamil king, and coming from India. So it's there's lots there that is unique to the Tamil community and culture that that you don't really kind of catch until until you really read into it, and you're like, wow, I didn't know this was. You know, from back in the day, like you kind of think of, okay, all these landmarks and buildings are like post-colonial era. So um, that's that was quite unique and and interesting to come across.
0: Wow. Honestly, I didn't realize the kind of, you know, uh, how rich in history and natural beauty that Sri Lanka was. And, you know, the current, um, you know, like situations going on, like especially with China Um, the current, you know, um, political struggles. And really, because, like, when I would hear, you know, certain Sri Lankan Tamils talk about the genocide going on in Sri Lanka, like, I remember, like, I was in middle school and stuff when the war was going on, and not being from, like, a Sri Lankan Tamil background, like, I didn't really know too much myself, but I just, like, know, okay, like, you know, there's a conflict going on, right? So it's pretty um, enriching to know how much Rich in how how rich in history this country is, and natural beauty, and just to get a better understanding of you know like the situation's going on, but that it's not something where it's so much like the locals themselves you know really fighting amongst each other, but it um sadly has a lot to do with like you know the political party and you know like some of the nepotism that is going on
1: yeah, I think I mean, I do believe that. Indifferences between people groups start in the home and, and, you know, in the local communities, I don't think it just branches randomly. Like a political leader doesn't just spring up and say, okay, like you two hate each other now and you're going to start fighting. But it, a lot like many discourses we've seen anywhere in the world, this whole origin discourse, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who was here first and who was here second and who does this belong to? And I think it's ultimately, it's a fight for identity, right i think that's what we all want i mean even in india we saw we see currently there's always a discourse between the dark ages or the the islamic rule and then there's the golden age of the hindu um era and and there's there's so much there on both ends but then you kind of have to be able to separate both of them and say okay this is what it is we need to kind of go back to welcoming empirical research and looking at scholarly articles and looking at the hard facts to say what really happened? But I mean, putting that aside, it's very, I mean, it's a very, I guess, provoking topic for anybody because we'd all want to say we want to, we were the first ones here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and we were, we were the ones that, um, you know, got here first and we have these certain rights and this is, this belongs to us, but it's harder to be like, okay, let's get real. Let's put this aside and really figure out what happened. And even in that case, whatever that proves. The fact of the matter is that we're all here right now, (laughs) right? And we're all living here and we're all all trying to survive. And I mean, if we can't do that, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. So, and and that's just, that's just it, is that it's a beautiful country with great values between all people groups. I mean, beautiful in terms of the the values that they, they prioritize, beautiful in, I mean, geographically and landscape wise. There's a lot there and it's really a privilege to have family home and to call that my motherland regardless of whether i was born there or not so suck it
0: cousins
1: (laughs) 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 so it is i mean it's a different mix and it and not to make it all super cliche and be like yeah you know like why can't we all just get along but it it really does start from small communities and it's small resentments and misunderstandings and indifferences that kind of lead us astray Mm -hmm. and ultimately you look back and you're like wow how many casualties, how many losses. Yeah, this continues. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, Just before we uh, sign off, uh, I recall you telling me something about um, like people kind of being stuck in the old way or like, you know, just like their tradition so Mm -hmm. much that they're not, like they think that they know so much about the world when they're really kind of just like in a bubble, kind of like Mm -hmm. how we are, you know, over here if you could just speak on that a little bit. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was quite interesting. I mean, it's quite interesting growing up uh, in the Tamil. I mean, first and foremost, if you're a young adult teenager, your opinion is second class when it comes to giving your input in in an audience of adults because it's, I mean, as far as like, I think any young adult would recognize is that adults always kind of have this way of regulating the way speak or the things that you say and say, you don't know much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So putting that aside, it's quite interesting to see how um, certain traditions or um, even the way certain people are regulated. So looking at how their kids are raised up or looking at how um, they view another person from a different country, it all boils down to, well, this is the way we've kind of always done things. So me going in from Canada, there's differences obviously in terms of the way I speak and I'm very outspoken and very outgoing. Um, Typically females, I mean, not all females are like that there. And I noticed there was a difference in clothing and I noticed there was a difference in the way they spoke and the things they did. Um, And that's, that's okay because I think it is very important to be culturally sensitive and to understand that this is the way they do things there. But there's also a bit of conflict because, I mean, Without really understanding, okay, is this really problematic, or is this just a difference in the way that we raise kids here and the way they raise kids there? Um, there was a few incidences that took place that were quite interesting because, um there's always some sort of disagreement on I'm thinking, wait, this isn't that big of a big deal. I mean, say it's me I don't know. Uh, kind of uh, the way I viewed a certain um, incident, It could be something as small as like a disagreement between two family members. And they were like, no, but they're younger, so they shouldn't really express their opinion. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, but they're justified and they're they're right in this case. So you guys are more stuck on the fact that they're younger or you know they shouldn't be saying this to an older adult when you're not addressing the conflict at hand right and I, I think it's there's a lot of one-way thinking there and I think even with my own family like here within the culture in itself there's lots of differences between the generation that we're growing up in now and the generation that they grew up in where they kind of just had to sit back and take what their parents told them or asked them to do um, and that's okay I, I do believe in in discipline and also respecting your parents and honoring them but there's There's certain things that we're exposed to now that they weren't exposed to back in the day when they were growing up. And so there's a bit of this disconnect with, okay, so what's right and what's wrong? What's justified and what's allowed? Am I allowed to question these things or should I blindly follow the traditions and just social norms of what you're used to because you're used to it? Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm.
1: when it comes down to just being like, okay, so why is it like this? Why are we doing this? It's like, stop. You're not supposed to be talking about it. You're talking too much. And it's like... (laughs) okay. (laughs) So how can we build from that? How can we learn from the rest of the world? And I mean, globalization is hitting everybody, but certain aspects of it is still not being changed within the home. And it's like, okay, you know, we're modern, we're moving forward. Um, Everyone's like career oriented. And I mean, there's issues with that on its own, but everyone's, you know, modern and um, we're free-minded and we're thinking openly. (laughs) But then in the home, it's like, that's okay, but not with my kids. And so it's like, okay, so where do we go from here, right? So it's quite interesting. It's like a cat and mouse game between your parents and what they've become familiar with and what we are now learning um, about the world and ourselves and balancing, um, respecting other cultures, but also revering our own. So it's it's a mix between the two. So it's, it's, it was quite interesting. I mean, I still deal with that at home, but I really felt that back home Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: because as they said i wasn't born and raised there it's very different but i can't claim it (laughs) i can't claim it according to them but um i mean it is what it is and i think like in terms of values we can be on the same page but also have different perspectives on smaller issues or maybe there are bigger issues in their mind but it's it's quite humbling Mm -hmm. to know Mm -hmm. um traveled to a few different countries and how not to not to minimize their experience or to say that they don't know or have no understanding of the world but it is quite interesting coming from the western world and being like okay so there's a lot more i need to learn about cultural sensitivity (laughs) than what i've done so far um but there's also lots of improvements that need to be made in terms of people's perspectives on um I think the age difference, as well as the the difference that, um, or difference in treatments between daughters and sons, which is a whole different conversation, um, which is deeply rooted in the tradition. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's what I would say is that uh, it it was overall a crazy awesome experience. Um, I would go back. I don't know when, considering the new. the new, uh, uh, political, um, decisions that have been made and we don't know what's to come, but I do, um, I am open to going back, seeing my family, um, visiting my homeland, kicking it back, (laughs) eating some mangoes. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot to take in. It was a lot, um, to unfold as well, coming back to really understand what I experienced and what I felt. And, um, it's a new experience every time. So I'm grateful for that.